Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Rostein, and I identify with pronouns of she, her, and hers. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg, and I identify with pronouns he, him, his. We're both from UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. And that leads us to today's topic. Hi, my name's Patricia, and my best friend just came out as transgender. He's started to ask us to call him by different gender pronouns. I have a lot of questions about gender and sexual identification, but I don't want to ask him just because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Can you talk about the gender spectrum, self-identifying sexuality, or gender fluidity, or anything, please? Thank you. Patricia, this is such an important topic, and I'm really glad that you brought it up. So, Dr. Dean, we're going to challenge you a little bit with today's topic. I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to talk about gender diversity and how it pertains to development and specifically in pediatrics. So you're talking like transgender. To start. Okay, well, I can already tell that I'm going to learn a lot in this episode, um, but I'm open-minded and I'm ready. Great. I learned a ton preparing for this episode, but I want to stress one thing. And that is? That this topic is something that we don't feel entirely comfortable with, and we are learning right alongside with you. Right. So bear with us, and please comment or write in to correct us if we get any terminology wrong. Right. Let's start by defining for our listeners what the difference is between one's gender and one's sex. Right. So sex is also called biological sex, and that is what is assigned at birth due to having certain genitalia and, for example, XX chromosome for women and XY for men. Right. This can also be referred to as one's assigned gender. Okay. Then I'm guessing there's something different than one's assigned gender. Right. That's someone's gender identity. And that aligns with their sex? No, not always. It's the internal sense that people have of who they are, which may be male, it may be female, or it can be anywhere along the gender spectrum, regardless of what their assigned gender was at birth. Does this correspond to the phrase transgender? Sort of. So transgender is when the gender identity is the opposite of the sex that they were assigned at birth. And I've also heard the term cisgender. Wow, I'm impressed. So cisgender is used to describe someone whose gender identity does match their assigned sex at birth. So we have covered trans and cisgender. Anything else? Right. There's also gender non-binary or gender queer, which is when someone aligns somewhere along the spectrum of gender identities. They're not exclusively masculine. They're not exclusively feminine. Their identities are outside of what we would consider cis-normative, or male or female. Hmm. There's something called the gender unicorn, which has really helped me in learning about these things. And it, it kind of describes all of gender as a continuum, and we can post a picture of that gender unicorn on our website. A unicorn? Yep. <laughs> okay, I, I am learning a lot. Um, so we'll post that on our website. Um, do we understand what things may take place that would lead to a person's gender identity that it doesn't match their biological gender? This still isn't very well understood, but it's thought to be due to many different things coming together at once, biologically, psychologically, and socially. What we do know is that this is not a choice per se, and that these are natural preferences to that person. So a child may identify with being male, female, or somewhere in between, a combination of both or neither. It's a continuum. It's not this or that, male or female. 
any kid can align themselves anywhere along this continuum. So when this discrepancy occurs... When a child's assigned gender differs from their gender identity... It can be confusing for the parent and the child. Definitely. And as pediatricians, we want to give parents and kids the tools to identify, help, and support their child and themselves while navigating this process. So that sounds very reasonable, but how, how common is this? So 7 in 1,000 U.S. youth identify as being transgender, with more recent studies suggesting even higher rates. So that's almost 1 in 100 kids, and it seems like I'm hearing about this more in the news, and I know more people who may identify as transgender or transitioning than when I was growing up. So is the prevalence increasing, or is it the awareness that's increasing? There have been increased rates in recent years, but it seems like it's less likely due to a true increase in prevalence and more likely due to an awareness and acceptance. Well, I think that's great that people feel more comfortable coming out and talking about this and that they're aware of it and being accepted. Right. I agree. So what can parents um, expect in terms of um, when will a child's gender identity be, be developed? Would a parent know from the beginning, like, for example, like probably not an infant, but like maybe a toddler? That's a great question. And for each kid, it's a little different. But is there a general kind of a pattern? Yeah, there is. So around age two, kids can generally start to identify physical differences between sexes. So like girls have a vagina and boys have a penis. Right. And by three, many kids can label themselves as being a boy or girl. And by four, most children will have a sense of their gender identity. But at this point, it can still be fluid. Okay, so let's say a child was born female, but starting at an early age, um, they always identified with being a male. The child may choose a gender expression that aligns traditionally with being male. So that's a new term to me, gender expression. Right. Gender expression is the external appearance of one's gender identity, what we can actually see when we're looking at them. So their clothing and their haircut, long hair versus short hair. Right. Those are all parts of gender expression, but so are general behaviors like their mannerisms, their voice, the names they want to go by, and even how young kids may choose to play with one another. Okay, so parents note that their three- to four-year-old that was born female and starting to identify as male, and so they want a short haircut, they play with traditional masculine toys like toy cars or trucks. How can parents support this? So the American Academy of Pediatrics supports a system called gender-affirming care. So when your child discloses his or her true identity to you, you should respond in an affirming, supportive way. Also, let them know it's okay. They don't have to know how to define their gender identity. They don't have to figure it out all at one time. So that sounds very reasonable. Don't try and define what clothes or toys they should wear or who or what they should play with. Support their hobbies and interests as you would any child. Okay, so we've established that a child, um, that they might have an incongruence between their sex and their gender identity. How likely is it that once this is established, that it persists into adulthood? Most studies have shown somewhere between a 15 and 25% persistence into adulthood. So about three quarters or more of these children will end up going to cisgender expression. And then if there's a 15 to 25% chance it will persist, are there any characteristics that kids display that make it more likely to persist? Right. There's a much higher likelihood if the child has severe distress around their sex and gender that was assigned at birth. They have disgust in their body parts. Um, Distress obviously would worsen during puberty. And they assert 
gender cognitively. So they say things like, I am a boy versus I wish I was a boy. So that makes sense because it sounds like it's a much stronger identification. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's really a fixed identity. So 25% is not an insignificant number, but it also isn't 100%. So it, it doesn't really seem large enough to pursue more aggressive transgender therapies early on, does it? Well, I can see your thinking there, but for that 25% that do go on to be transgender, not initiating transition can be very psychologically harmful. So they really need to be supported during mm-hmm. that time. Yeah, so this seems like a natural place to discuss the transitioning issue. Mm -hmm. So transitioning is a process of going from one's assigned sex at birth to their preferred gender, and it typically involves certain steps. We'll go through them in order, but it's important to know that these steps are not always performed in a specific order. Okay, so what would be the usual step one? So typically, individuals will first change their pronouns and their gender expression, like we talked about their hair, clothing, name. Okay, so let's take a minute to dive into these pronouns. Perfect. So, for example, a transgender male may request that you use pronouns that identify with male. So, he, him, his. Okay, so that seems easy enough. There are other pronouns that some people think are more confusing that an individual may choose. Mm -hmm. For example, some choose to be gender neutral and be referred to as they or Z if they don't identify with being just male or just female. Mm -hmm. And there are many other pronouns, and we'll post a list on our website of them. That sounds sort of um, challenging and confusing. So it sounds like just the easiest thing to do is whatever they ask me to call them, that's what I should do. Yeah, so that is what you should do. Just call them what they want to be called. Okay, so what's the usual step two then? Some refer to this as legal affirmation. It would be legally changing your birth name to your preferred name or your birth gender to your preferred gender. This can be done on your birth certificate as well as your social security card. And minors need their parents' consent to do this, right? Right. A parent has to sign off a consent for a name change of a minor. And this can also be expensive. So that's why one reason it's not always done as step two. Mm -hmm. And then what's the usual step three? This is when you start thinking about medical affirmation of gender. So introducing medication to change your gender, like hormones as medication? Actually, if a child knows early enough that their assigned gender and gender identity are incongruent, then the first step would actually be to take a medication to stop puberty from progressing. That's interesting. So that way a child has more time to explore and solidify their gender identity before proceeding with more drastic and permanent medical therapies? Exactly. So for many transgender youth, the idea of going through puberty is the most terrifying thing for them Hmm. because you start to solidify your assigned gender, right? So if you were born female, you're starting to develop breasts. Mm -hmm. If you were born male, you're starting to get facial hair and an Adam's apple and your voice is deepening. And these are all things that make them horrified. And then these processes aren't reversible once they've started. Right. So hormone blockers, the most common medication that we use is one called Lupron, actually just push the pause button to puberty and allow kids more time to explore their gender identity. And do the hormone blockers have a relatively low risk of side effects? Are they, mm-hmm. are they safe for kids? Yeah. 
They are. I mean, as you can probably imagine, there's not a huge amount of studies looking into the safety in this population. The largest effects they've seen are on increased risk of bone demineralization, so weaker bones as they age, and um, issues with fertility. Okay, so let's say that a family decides to move forward with the puberty blockers for their child, who is transgender male at age 13, and he is now 16. Nothing's changed, and he has a fixed male gender identity. So what's the next step? The next step would be cross-gender hormones. So once you start these, you're essentially releasing the pause button and heading in the opposite direction than you were going before. I guess that's one way to think about it. And I probably should have mentioned before that all of this medical affirmation process is usually collaboratively performed with a team that involves the child, the child's family, a physician with experience in transgender care, as well as mental health professionals. I can see that really you would need a team because there's a lot of different areas of expertise that are that are needed. And this is such an important decision. So it's a really great model to have that team-based model. So the cross-gender hormones means taking exogenous hormones that correspond to one's gender identity, right? Right. So for female-to-male transition, this medication would be testosterone. And the effects of testosterone are deepening of the voice, body hair growth, and um, hair loss at the temples, Mm -hmm. clitoral enlargement, acne, and emotional changes. And for transgender males, they're excited about these side effects. This is what they, you know, this is what they want and what they identify with because it can actually help their gender expression match their identity. And then they feel more comfortable with their bodies, which is the point. Right, exactly. And then for male to female transition, they must use estrogens. Right. And estrogens increase breath growth. They cause testicular atrophy, making the testicles smaller. They decrease muscle mass. So, again, all the side effects that you're looking for if you identify more with being female. Are there risks with this hormone therapy? Right. For these, there are known risks, both over the long term as well as the short term. So that's why it's really important that a care team trained in cross-sex hormones is monitoring. Mm-hmm. And so they really need to be experienced with this and, and with the use of these drugs, too. Yeah. So the healthcare professionals um, feel most comfortable starting at around age 16, but it's unique to each individual situation. Right. So now we should talk about surgical affirmation. And so this is typically done after the medical therapies. And can sometimes get out of our pediatric realm because a lot of the time this will happen after 18 years old. Mm -hmm. But not always. Usually, surgery will start with top surgery, which deals with having a breast augmentation or breast reduction. And then the final stage would be gender reassignment surgery, which would be surgically altering the genitalia to match the identified sex. Right. So now that we've talked about the transitioning process, I want to briefly touch on some of the mental health issues our transgender youth face and some of the debunked and not recommended therapies. So you mentioned gender-affirming care and that this is the recommended approach to take in helping transgender and non-binary youth. Right. And some parents may have heard of other therapies like conversion or reparative treatment models. And these were used to prevent children and adolescents from identifying as transgender or dissuade them from exhibiting gender diverse expression. These had things like shaming and hypnosis, even shock therapy. Wow. These, not only do they not work, they can be extremely harmful to the psyche and mental health of these patients. And so they are not recommended therapies. 
Right. So due to the harmful effects of these treatment methods, conversion therapy is banned in multiple states, including in California, where we practice. Right. Earlier, you had also mentioned mental health issues that transgender patients face, and this is really important to discuss. Well, I'm sure they have a higher risk of like being bullied and family stress and disputes. They do. They have an increased risk of depression and have an extremely increased risk of attempting suicide. About 50% of transgender youth will attempt suicide versus just 9% in the general population. That's, that's really shocking, the, the high rate of suicide mm-hmm. um, attempts. I know. And transgender youth also has a higher risk of substance use disorders, about two to three times higher than the, in the general population. And transgender people are also at increased rates of contracting sexually transmitted infections, including the highest rate of new HIV infections. They also have higher rates of um, sexual exploitation. Mm. And like we talked about before, many experience harassment, report bullying at school. Between 40 and 70 percent report verbal abuse from a parent and over half report being rejected by their family. They unfortunately also have much higher rates of homelessness. So all this is to say we really need to look out for and support these kids. They're really at high risk. And whether you're a parent, a teacher, a healthcare provider, or or a friend, to be supportive. Right. It's our job as a community to work to reduce these statistics with strong support systems and a strong family unit. These statistics actually reduce to the same rates as their cisgender peers. Well, that wraps up today's episode on transgender youth, and I hope our listeners learned as much as I did. So let's summarize some of the key points. Transgender is when a person's identified gender does not match their assigned gender at birth. This can be seen early, as young as three or four years of age. The best strategy to help a transgender child grow and develop is using gender-affirming care. Support your child and work with an experienced physician and mental health care provider. There are many steps that can be taken towards gender affirmation, which includes social, legal, medical, and surgical therapies. And last but not least, these kids are at increased risk for a lot of social barriers, including increased risk of depression, harassment, drug abuse. And so it's so important for our society to work and protect and support them. It is. And I know this is a very serious subject, but it does remind me of a joke. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. Why couldn't the ghost see its mom and dad? Why? Because they were trans parents. Oh. Uh. Okay, so we'd like to um, thank Dr. Laura Kester, our adolescent medicine specialist at UC Davis Children's Hospital, for reviewing today's episode, although Dr. Lena and I take complete responsibility for any errors or misinformation. Do you have a sense of when your gender identity developed? I don't. Um... I mean, it does, it does, I don't know, it just, it seems to me, it's like traditional, like, right? Like, I was like, always a boy and doing boy stuff. And I grew up with two sisters. So I knew that they were girls, right? Yeah, I think um, I always fit that kind of stereotypical Mm -hmm. um, girl, you know, gender, cisgender Mm -hmm. um, trajectory as well. Um, But I think that so much of it is the way we're raised, right? So people buying me dresses and dolls and, um, you know, so these kids that can have such a strong gender identity, even in the face of society, giving them all of these things and um, sort of trying to fit them into these boxes that we're so used to seeing is really powerful um, 
because you know you feel that from so early on, like you were saying. You know. Yeah, you know the when when I hear people talk about it, that's what really strikes me as being very powerful. Mm-hmm. Is despite all the pressure in our society and the expectations of society to be cisgender, really the you know the boys with the rooms painted blue and you know the t-shirts and pants and you know expected to like have a little play tool set and trucks and stuff and the girls you know with the dresses and pink and all that. Right, it's just and then crazy. if a child doesn't feel that and doesn't identify with that, that's that's huge. That's such an important point that we really need to pay attention to. That if they're not if they're not identifying with that, it's a really strong, powerful feeling right. for them. Right, and that's not to say that if you don't identify with that, you're going to go on and become transgender. Because most of the time, you're not. You may right. just be just you're somewhere along, or you're somewhere along that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right, you're not one of those kids that fits over here into you're you're along this. You maybe you you identify with being a female, but you like trucks, and mm-hmm. that's okay too. Right. Um. So, check out the gender unicorn. It'll teach you a lot. Yeah, I'm, I want to look at that too. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. Children's Hospital.